Well, good, good morning, church. How are you today? Yeah, good, good. What great weather this weekend, and um, I see a few open spots, so some people are t- taking advantage of that weather. Um, that's good. I hope they get some, some rest, but you're here, and I want to talk to you this morning. I want to share with you a subject matter I've never, I've never preached on. Uh, we're walking through this series called The Experience, and basically we're asking the question, what do you experience when you experience church? Now, uh, I'll be the first to agree with you that church is not a building, it's not just a, uh, you know, a church service, that type of stuff. It is God's people doing God's work in the world. But we're talking specifically about the gathering of God's family at a local church, which this is. What do you experience when you experience church? So we've talked about worship And remember the key, Pastor Anson walked you through it, the key to worship is to remind yourself, don't cheapen the word worship down to one or two small things. We worship God with with our entirety of who we are and what we do. That's worshiping. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, We talked about communion and what that signifies when we take communion and and what the, the story that we are retelling every time we take it. And that really at the core, when we take communion, we're answering a personal question of, do I, do I know and believe Jesus Christ as my Savior? And then I'm reminded and I proclaim it through communion. We talked about prayer last week. And some neat stuff happened last week when we walked through the Lord's Prayer and we talked about you know, what it was Jesus was really teaching us. Not just a way to pray. He was teaching us a way to live and to live out a prayer and to own a prayer in our life last week, and I was, I was really encouraged just to see how God impacted uh, your life uh, this past week and some of the correspondence I got back. So where are we going this week? Uh, I want to preach to you this week on preaching. Uh, preach to you on preaching. So, so you've seen we've had this little practical thing that we've done each week in the prayer and in the communion time. So, so I'm going to preach to you about preaching, then I'm going to preach a sermon this week. So in an hour and 45 minutes, we'll be out of here today uh, on that. So, uh, no, I'm not, I, well, maybe I will. Because of the groan, I didn't appreciate. So I may, I may change things up. I want to share with you a little bit about preaching. Can I tell you about my first sermon I ever preached in my life? I had just turned 17 years old. I'd been a Christian for, I don't know, six months, seven months. And I'd become a leader in our youth program. And uh, my youth pastor asked if I would lead a talk one night, and the talk was going to be on patience. And so I said, well, this is a, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can knock out that topic. Um, so it was a Wednesday night youth program, and we meet in like this youth room that was all, the roof, youth room that was all kind of decked out as youth stuff. And, and so um, the background of the story, though, prior to youth group is uh, the, the girl I was seeing at the time, her mom cut hair, you know, kind of on the side. And, and so my hair was always cut by her. And uh, I wanted to get a haircut uh, for this youth, uh, this, this huge sermon uh, I was preaching. And she wasn't available to cut the hair. Uh, at that time in my life, uh, not really understanding haircut and the art of hair cutting, I just decided, well, I'll just knock this out myself. Um, so I went up into the, the bathroom at my house, and I just started going at it. Now, we didn't have any of those, like, you know, buzzer type of things. We had scissors, um, like craft scissors. And, but I didn't know any difference. They all looked the same to me, right? You know, they got long things, they cut, they got a yellow handle, let's, you know, we'll, we'll go at it. And so I just started cutting at my hair, 
Um, and I didn't wear it as short as I wear it now. I mean, I'm going maintenance free now. But at the time, you know, I tried to be style. So you know, as a teenage boy, when you're trying to do styles, 80s haircut styles, I mean, how you cut, that's kind of important, how you cut it there. And let's just say, um, I think I did the, about the, the biggest butcher job you're ever going to do on hair. I mean, there was pieces just longer and shorter, lopsided, some stuff that looked kind of shaved on one side. I don't... I can't even describe what I did to the back because I couldn't see it. And you know how you have the medicine cabinet that opens part way? Like I opened that part way and then I kind of looked out of the side of my eye. That's how I did the back. So you can see, I mean, you can just imagine how horrendous this looked. I had to go preach a sermon that night. No problem. It's in the youth room. I'll just wear a hat. That's solved. Well, I got to youth group that night and uh, Pastor Mark said, "Um, you know, we're going to go over into the sanctuary and do the youth talk tonight. I just think it would be a really cool atmosphere if you, like, preach from the stage. Uh, well, it's pretty traditional church, folks. Um, you don't wear hats in church at this church. That would have been a big no-no. Um, and so I remember walking to the door, California church, everything opens up to the outside, walking to the door, and just having a hard time opening and going in. But somehow, God used standing on a stage with hair that looked crazy and a mess to really fully communicate the message of patience. Waiting, waiting, even if it's waiting on a haircut for the right person to actually cut your hair. Preaching is like this. It's kind of like writing a 10-page paper every week, rehearsing it, and then having to stand and to recite that paper on a content matter that you probably have already heard many times in your life if you've grown up and come to church. That's kind of preaching. I remember Steve Carter, who preached at Willow Creek, once said, it is like getting pregnant and having a baby every single week. Obviously not physical, ladies, uh, so, so don't get frustrated. But it is just going through this progression and pain every single week and waking up Monday morning and being pregnant all over again. That it's always there before you to preach, to write, and to share at the end of the week. I, I looked at uh, the last five years, and I, I started counting through. Um, and if you look over the last five years of just being at this church as a senior pastor, and thinking over the last five years, we're in the 200 to 300, 250 to 300 range on sermons preached in that span of time. Can I tell you something, though, before we continue? That's not the preaching we're talking about. In fact, this morning when I talk to you about preaching, I want you to know where it is important that we teach the Word of God every week when we gather. The most significant preaching that God's Word talks about is the preaching that you and I do with our lives, with our words, with the way we live Every single day that we live our life. In fact, uh, by, by my measure, we're always preaching. Every single one of us is preaching. Uh, by what you talk about. What you influence other people with. What do you post regularly on your Facebook. You're always preaching. The question is just this. What is your life really preaching? What are you preaching? Uh, are you preaching uh, your job? Maybe that's what you preach. 
That's the thing that is most talked about, most shared, most encouraged. Uh, and when people ask you or they say, hey, tell me about so-and-so, they say, well, I know a lot about his job because that's just kind of what you preach. You know, maybe it's your hobby or, or, or the thing that you just really get into on the side. On and on and on, what is it that you actually preach? This morning, what we really want to talk about, what I want to share with you, is just this question mark for each of us to say, how well does my life, does my words preach Jesus Christ? How well does it do that? Does it preach Jesus Hey, if you got in here and didn't get your sermon notes, uh, this is important. We're going to walk through these. So slip up your hand, and, and uh, Mike will come sprinting to you with, with a, a, a sheet this morning that you can walk through. And we're going to talk a little bit about this preaching that we want to walk through this week. Hey, here's the first thing that we want to ask. Why? Why is it so important for us as Christians to preach with our life. Can I share you one verse that's significant? In fact, my encouragement with you, if, if, that, if at all you kind of struggle with the concept and the idea of really being a, an, an influence on other people for Jesus Christ, this would be a good verse for you to embed and memorize so it's always on the tip of your tongue. Romans 10 verse 14 says this, How then can they call on the one they have believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's a really interesting verse. If you follow just the simple logic, he's saying, how will people know about Jesus if we don't tell them about Jesus? That's really what the verse is talking about. It's what our topic this morning is. Uh, So the equation is much like this. Uh, Preach. Here equals believe. Simple equation that we put into play here. The question might come to your head, though, right now. Why can't we just kind of all believe what we believe and then just kind of let God sort it out in the end? He can do that, right? He's a God that can figure it all out. Here's why, really. Because, uh, and you may not know this, the message of Jesus, it's really not intuitive, it's really, it's not an intuitive thing. And what do I mean by that? I mean this. If you never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you never hear about Jesus, if you never hear about your separation from God, you would conclude the same thing many people in our world conclude that don't know the gospel. They conclude this. We have a good God, and if I do good things then eventually I will get to be in a good place. That's kind of the, I mean, it just makes sense to us in our world that if my good outweighs my bad, a good God would be fair and would take the good over the bad and I would be okay. And I get to go to that good place forever. It it seems logical, right? In fact, you might have believed that. I guarantee if, if you understand the gospel now, you, you have a sphere of influence that believes this type of message. Here's one problem with the message. It's not the biblical message. The biblical message is no amount of your goodness, your good deeds, will overcome even the one, the first sin you ever, you ever practiced. That's the message of the gospel. Kind of a bummer, huh? 
that that one sin would immediately separate us from God. But God in his love for us, it's what we've been talking about, we say it every week, sent Jesus Christ to die on the sin, a play, or on the cross in place for our sins, so that when God looks down on us, those who would say yes to Jesus, he looks at us through Christ. And Christ is our advocate. He's the one that's taken on the sin. And when his eyes finally lay on us, he sees us as blameless. And the Bible says to us simply that all, that all who know Christ, this is how salvation comes. This is how your goodness actually comes. Take a look at 1 Peter 3.15 here. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That's what we're doing when we say yes to Jesus Christ. We're setting him apart as Lord of our life. We're not setting him apart as like he's the, the measuring rod at the end. If I do so many good things and so many bad things, he'll look at the scales, he'll weigh them out, and he'll decide. This is no, I set him apart as Lord of my life. That means I look to him and I say, he has a way that he has said, I will bring you incredible great life if you just kind of follow me and walk with me. And so I do. And then he says, look, I have a better purpose and mission for your life, much more fulfilling for your life. I can use you in amazing ways than you would just use yourself. And so I go that direction. So I'm used and my purpose is realized through Jesus Christ. That's setting him apart as Lord of my life. Some of you, I know, sitting here today, even in a group this side, you have never, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ in that way. You still probably in your heart have bought into the good-bad scale and have never just said, no, I need to claim Jesus as Lord of my life. Believe in him, follow him, and that is credited to me, as the Bible says, as salvation. Here's a second part of this verse and answers this question of why. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this in gentleness and respect. We always need to be ready to share with others this reason and this hope for what we have. Now, here's what we're going to do today. I want to walk through this passage, and it's an incredibly practical passage about being available and ready to share with somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you'd open up to Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26. Uh, we do have it on the screen for you uh, as well. Uh, but I want to op open this up and walk through this and just talk with you about these practical items that every single one of us could do to share our faith and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And you won't have to get on any soapbox, on any street corner, and yell anything at the top of your lungs. In fact, the Bible doesn't e it says you don't even have to do that. You just have to preach with who you are and use your words. I'm going to share with you a story while you're looking for that. Acts chapter 8, 26 is where we're at. Uh, at my previous church, uh, my pastor, Pastor Joel, who was an influence on my life, uh, one day our children's pastor, who had kind of become a little unhappy at the church and had some different thoughts and approaches to ministry, and uh, eventually down the line, you know, you just kind of bless that person and send them on to another place, and you hire a new children's pastor, and that was kind of the progression that was happening at the time. But she came in one day, and she was talking with our, uh, our senior pastor, and he finally asked her, he said, just what, what is it that's really just like getting under your skin? 
And she said, you know, I just, I just don't really like the way you do altar calls. And, um, and so I, he said, well, okay, well, explain to me, what do you mean by that when you say you don't like the way we do altar calls? She said, well, you know, you, you share the invitation up front. And he kind of paused her and said, well, do I share a clear invitation to people? Do I kind of let them know that the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ and salvation? She said, yeah, yeah, that's not a problem. Okay. And, and, then, you, and then you actually you invite them to respond. He said, oh, okay, now we do that different ways. I have, have, do we invite them to respond like in ways that they would clearly understand what's, how to respond and what's kind of expected at the moment? He said, yeah, yeah, that's not, not the problem. Um, and then uh, he said, well, sh- share with me really what is, like what's the issue? What do we, what? She said, well, I really just think like if you're going to do an altar call, you need to have them come down to the front and then... Um, and like immediately get discipled by somebody and go into a side room and talk to them. Nothing wrong with, with that. You've probably been in settings where that's happened and people have come forward. Uh, I was at a Billy Graham crusade where thousands came forward. Powerful experience. But in her view, it was limited to that one way of doing an altar call. And it just kind of got a burr under her saddle. So here's what the pastor said. He said, um, tell me about how you do altar calls down with the kids. And she said, well, we, we haven't really done altar calls. I mean, they are kids down there. We haven't done altar calls. And he said, well, tell me about the last kid that you, like, prayed with and led to the Lord. And she couldn't come up with, with one. And he brought in, he said, well, tell me about the last kid that you guys have celebrated salvation in the kids program down there. And she had a hard time coming up with one. And he looked at her and he said, I like my way better. And that was the end of it, and it lasted just a week or two later, and she was gone. This is what he's saying. At all costs, preach the gospel. Share the gospel. It doesn't come down to just one specific way or plan or manner. Just share the gospel. Make it clear and understandable, and allow there to be an invitation that invites somebody into the faith through Jesus Christ. This passage, I think, is going to help us with that. So if you take a look at it, we'll start in verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch with great authority under Kandek, which is Candace probably in your translation, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and as he was now returning, seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So you've got the setting here. You've got this, this Ethiopian official. Now, this is a very powerful position, this, this, even though it's not named him. He is the treasurer of a very, very rich kingdom in Ethiopia. Uh, there was a gold trade. There was iron there. Um, and, and so this was a significant, significant town, very rich. And he was the treasurer of the town. This is a significant role that he had. And at the time of this festival in Jerusalem where you would go worship, clearly here this, this Ethiopian had either a curiosity about the faith, he was sent by the queen to check into this, or there was somewhere something in his background where it was part of his faith system, at least a portion of it as we find out later. And he was intrigued enough he was in Jerusalem worshiping and now he was headed home 
and he was in his carriage. Now, most likely, this would have been a little bit of an entourage, not just him in his own carriage, probably a big enough carriage uh, that, that he was going, probably a little bit of uh, bodyguard protection would have been with him here. He would have had his servant. So maybe four or five in this little entourage headed back, uh, headed back home here is what's going on. Now, this, this Candace, this queen, now this is the most powerful person in Ethiopia. In fact, Candace was actually a title. It wasn't uh, a, a name there. So just like we, we know the title of Pharaoh, that type of thing. This was a, a very powerful female leader, um, head of, of this kingdom, this very rich kingdom. So he's headed home here. And now verse 29, pick it up where, where Philip's role comes into play. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, well, how can I unless somebody instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of the scripture he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb in silence before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, I just want to walk through a couple Uh, very simple things, because if you would like to, you could say, well, Philip, I mean, this is like a disciple, one of the 12 chosen ones. Surely he's going to be a preacher, but it's not me. Don't dismiss that for a second. There's a couple practical things here that fit for every single one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ on how we can share our faith and share the good news about Jesus Christ. Number one is this. It's just simply that Philip was available. It was just simply available says in verse 26, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Notice in the scripture there, at least what's recorded, we don't get this long drawn out account. He doesn't say, all right, here's what's going to happen, Philip. I'm I'm about to create this amazing scenario for you. That if if you'll just follow and do this, it's not only going to be amazing. People are going to talk about this forever. In fact, 2,000 years from now, some guy's going to get up on stage and he's going to be preaching about preaching and he's going to use your story as an example. So if you'll go do this, you are going to be so famous down the road. He doesn't say anything like that, right? At least it's not recorded that way. He just simply says, how about going over to this desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza? Seemingly, if we follow the timeline of the scripture here, he doesn't even know why he's going there in the first place. I would imagine if he was told from the get-go, got an amazing evangelism opportunity, that would have energized Philip and he'd have been on his path. But we don't even get in Scripture that he knows this yet. Just simply, God said it, so I'm going to go do it. And it says the most powerful words here, verse 27, so he started out. I wonder for you if the greatest barrier to you sharing your faith— is not your belief system. You've kind of got that nailed down. You know who Jesus is. You know who God is. You know how it works. You, you believe it. You love it. 
I wonder if it's just simply allowing yourself to be available to God. That when God like speaks or when God says, hey, let me nudge you a little on this idea. If you go like, I'm all ears, God. Just just lay it on me. Let's do this. If it's simple availability. Sometimes we halt availability just simply by not going to God in the first place. I don't open up God's word and spend time in God's word. I'm not praying regularly. I'm not spending time rubbing shoulders with with people I I view as solid, wise Christians. And so the avenues are, are kind of curbed. Sometimes it's just as simple as saying the word yes. Like you, you know the opportunities, you've even heard the voice of God, but the yes is a little bit harder to come by. But Philip was available here, and that's the first step. I am sure if I were to stop the sermon right now and all of us were to go out and say, I am revved up, fired up, and I am ready to charge forward, and you truly made yourself available to God, I'm convinced that you wouldn't even need the other four points on here. Just your fact that you're willing to be available would be enough for God to use you, and the Holy Spirit would guide you through the path the rest of the way if we seemingly just said this week, I'm available, I'm ready. Let's look through these, though. The second one here. Uh, Philip asked this simple question in verse 30. We find out Philip said, hey, go over and walk beside this carriage. Um, The the carriage must have not been going very fast here. Um, They might have been loaded down with supplies that they were taking back. So Philip was able to walk right up to it. And it says in verse 30, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, most likely, this, this was probably like a servant reading aloud as they went on the journey. And when he heard this, he says this, do you understand what you're reading? Pretty simple question. He asks this pretty, pretty simple thing. This would be the catalyst for the rest of the conversation. Have you ever felt like you're like, you're right there in the position to share your faith? And you're like, I just, I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to get it started. I, I don't even know how to process what that little open, open door is and what little first step I should take in this. Philip just asked a very simple, simple question here. In fact, we find that all throughout Scripture, God can do supernatural things through simple questions or simple encounters. He can do these amazing supernatural things. There are some people that are so skilled at the simple question that they can't walk through the grocery store without getting out and telling you a story about somebody they just invited to come to church or they had a conversation about Jesus Christ with in the grocery store. Simple, simple questions to ask. Do you know what he's really asking when he says here, you know, do you understand what you're reading? He's, he's asking, hey, so what do you think about that? What do you think about it? In fact, every week when, when, whenever I have a friend that I invite to come to church, um, and I'm just like you guys, they don't all come that I invite. I invite plenty. They don't all come. It's okay. The no is okay. But when they come, and I always try to find that one opportunity where I can say, well, what what'd you think about like what God was sharing this morning? Like, I don't want to say to them, hey, what'd you think? Did you have fun this morning? Did you really enjoy the experience this morning? It's like I tell, your ki- tell you as parents, when your kids come out of of the kids program, don't ask them, did you enjoy kids church this morning? Did you enjoy Sunday school this morning? Ask them, hey, what story did you learn this morning? 
it's a simple question that is a catalyst to conversation. What was God talking to you about this morning? What did you think about what the pastor was saying this morning? Little questions, simple questions open up the door. It might be for you when you walk to work as simple as, hey, how you doing today? How's your day? Or it might be as simple as remembering something they do in their life and just asking them. They do realty on the side. Hey, how's the, uh, how's the house business going? How's, it, how's, that, how's that working for you? It opens up conversations. You never know what a simple question into somebody's life, what that does. Anytime, and I'll be honest, I'm not a huge Joel Olstein fan, but anytime somebody says to me that may not be in church, that they were watching or they, they were, heard this on the radio, to me that's, that's a natural opportunity to ask a simple question. Oh, really? T- tell me about what the teaching was. What intrigued you? And it opens up a little door for conversation. God puts those opportunities in our path all the time if we're available first, and then we find the simple question to ask. Now, here's the most important part after the simple question. Philip listened. Verse 30 here. Do you understand what you're reading? 31. Well, how can I unless somebody instructs me? Listening to that one question that he followed up on made all the difference in the rest of the conversation here. One time I had a, a gentleman come over to the house, the, the church office actually, because uh, we were going to let him practice on Pastor Anson and myself for this new financial job that he was taking. And he had to, to practice on about 10 people before he could finish the interview process. So I said, sure, come on over and you can walk us through the whole spiel and the, the deal. Do you know what I found at the end of 15 minutes? The goal was to ask me about, like, my financial leanings. Um, How risky am I? What do I have put away now? What would I like to do in the future? On and on questions to that end. At the end of 15 minutes, I could tell you a pretty good amount of what that guy had done in his life, what he had set up, and what he was looking for in the future. I could tell you how risky he was in his investments or not. I guarantee he knew very little about me. Because after the first question... I got stories about, well, here's what I would do, or here's what I have done, on and on and on. Here, Philip, he just took the time to hear the simple question, and it directed the rest of the conversation. Guys, I'm convinced that one of the most important things on whether you can lead somebody to Jesus Christ, whether the door opens up to share more about Jesus, the hope that you have is to simply listen to what they're saying and what their heart is really asking. Because when you find out what the heart is really asking, there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus says, I am here to fulfill that. I'm here to fulfill that hope, that longing, whatever it is, I am here to fulfill that. And if it's way off base, you know, I'm here to help you turn the ship and head in a different direction here. And Christ has that to offer. And sometimes we miss it because we don't want to listen to them. We want to share our own story, our own thoughts. Now, before we move on from there, hear me right. Your story of how you came to know Jesus Christ is the most powerful witness anybody will know. Now, they can argue with Scripture. They can even talk about, well, doesn't the Bible contradict, and on and on and on. But it's hard to argue with your story, what you've experienced. You know, just this morning, uh, Brian Boer, who, who I, I've known his testimony and his life transformation, just shared with me on a, a sister that came to know Jesus Christ. 
And they've been praying for her a long time. In fact, there have been many days where, where Brian has actually walked in frustration. Like, when, you know, when are you going to open up the door? How is the door going to be opened up, Lord? And to his surprise, the Lord opened up the door. They used his testimony, used his life, used what she knew there. And he was the one that she called. And he walked her through and prayed with her to, to receive Jesus. In fact, we were praying this morning that she was walking into the door to a Bible-based church back home in, in Pennsylvania. We were praying that that was going to happen this morning for discipleship to begin. Your story is powerful, but you've got to hear what they're asking to know how to use your story. You've got to listen, and we find Philip did here. And then this is, this is a, a extremely important, we know, in verse 4, or excuse me, point 4, Philip preached Jesus. Verse 35, if you see there, so beginning with the same scripture that the Ethiopian had been reading, so beginning with that same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You know what Philip said was, all right, we're going to talk right here, and and he actually had a passage that was prophesying about Jesus, and he said, I'm going to take what is on the table already, and I'm just going to start progressing right to Jesus Christ. And he preached Jesus. Folks, if we're going to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, we've got to share with them Jesus Christ. We have to talk to them about who Jesus is. We spend so much time, sometimes in our contemporary church setting, about how your life can change, how you can be a better person, how you can get rid of addiction, all good things. But we want to talk to them about Jesus Christ, the source. Who is Jesus? What does the gospel say? What does Jesus say he came to do? Who did he claim to be? How did Jesus see transformation around him in the life of other people while he walked this earth? Talking to them about Jesus Christ is so, so significant. Hebrews 4, 12 says this, For the word of God, the Bible, is, a, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any, any sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Do you know what this passage is saying? And the word picture I get is, Tom, the word of God is far better than your words. So be careful how much of your words you're saying. Certainly the Lord is going to use my words. He's going to use my story. But I want to share Jesus Christ. I'm looking for the door to share Jesus Christ. To be able to say, hey, to you, you know what God's word says? You know, God's word says this, and I've experienced it in my life. And this is what Jesus will do. So significant to share Jesus. Now, before we move on from this, let me just say one thing on this. Christians, if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I'm just not sure I know enough about Jesus to share about Jesus. If you look at me and say, Tom, is that a problem? I will very lovingly to you say, yes, that's a problem. That's a problem, but a fixable one. Because all you have to do is open up your Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just start reading about Jesus. You have the four, the four most outstanding stories you'll ever want to read about Jesus Christ. And they're, they're, they're actually told from four different viewpoints, not because they contradict in any way, but because they're, they're written to different audiences. And so I know you're going to read and you're going to walk away and you're going to understand who this Jesus is. 
You don't have to go to a, a really in-depth Greek commentary to walk through and read through that. Um, you don't. In fact, as much Greek as I took in seminary, I don't read it much ever now. When people say to me, hey, do you know Greek as a preacher? I say, OSA amen et usi, which is the parsing of Greek verbs, but that's what I remember. That's about it. So you just read God's word, you'll know about Jesus. Then when you find some intriguing little thing in there and you say, the temple that Jesus was in, what was that all about? What did the temple look like? What was? Then go to a little commentary help, find out about the temple, and then the story comes alive even more. You can simply start with the Gospels and learn about Jesus. I will tell you, believers, the more you learn about Jesus, the more Jesus will use you to teach others about Jesus. And so get into the Gospels. Finally, we find this, this step. They come just on happenstance here as they rode along. And, and my guess is in the story of, that he shared about Jesus, my guess is he shared about Jesus being baptized and, and, and shared this whole thing. Because when they saw water, the Ethiopian here, he says, hey, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Let's just be baptized right now. This is like the spontaneous baptisms that we see sometimes during our baptism service where, you know, I'm standing here and I look up and there's a new face standing in front of me. They weren't on the sign-up list. No, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go back to your seat. We don't have time for that. Um, that's what's happening. The, the Ethiopian driving by, there is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? Do you know what he's saying in that? The Ethiopian is saying is, I believe in Christ. I claim everything you just said. That's right to me. And I'm, I'm going to follow and lead my life this direction. And baptism was this public profession of it. To say, I'm going under the water. The old is washed away. I'm coming out of the water. This is the new. A life committed to Jesus Christ. And so right there, right then, Philip baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch. Now we're going to talk about baptism next week and walk through it, the theology of baptism, why do we even still do it today? So uh, we don't need to steal the thunder on that. But this was a clear, public, practical step that declared the faith of the Ethiopian here. Now, I know what you're going to say. We get to the step five, and you're going to say, I knew it, I can't do this, Tom, because like, after I lead somebody to Christ— I mean, what's the chances we're going to stumble on water when we're walking around? And I just don't feel comfortable baptizing him right on the spot. You're going to find your way to dismiss this on this point, number five. Tell you what, I'll take care of it. Just bring him here. We'll get him signed up. We'll baptize him right here. You don't even have to do that fifth step unless God really clearly leads you to, okay? So hit those first four steps. Good. I believe God would use any of you. Can I tell you how I prayed for this message? I pray that if there just would be one person who wasn't already, who would leave here fired up about sharing the message of Jesus Christ, somebody that would leave here and fired up and said, I'm going to be available. I'm going to be available not just this week. I am going to be available when God speaks to go do it. Even if he just says, hey, run up to that chariot, and I don't even know why yet, I'm going to be available if, if there's one of you that says, I am going to just find avenues in conversation to ask simple life questions that would open up a door to conversation. And I love talking so much, but I'm going to make sure this week I get my mouth shut and I listen and hear where's their heart, what's going on in their life, 
where is it I need to work off of based on what God is walking them through? And then, you know, I'm going to find every avenue available to share the name of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of the name of Jesus. I'm going to look for those avenues this week. If there was one person in here even that went out of here fired up about that, what impact could a church make if even one person did that? You know how I know that? Because when I read the Bible, I, I get these glimpses of these few one persons that go out and do it. Now, we know it was a huge number, thousands that actually do it. But we get these stories about one person, Paul, who goes out town to town on fire preaching the word. Peter goes out town to town preaching and sharing. We get these little glimpses of characters like, like Philip here, willing and available to go. And so it's doable. Even one person making a huge impact. How much more if all of us said, I'm in, I'm ready to go. What impact could this church make? I guarantee uh, when you come back, we're going to have stories after story that Brian shared with you this morning about a sister coming in the Lord. We're going to say, there's this guy at work, and the Lord allowed me to pray with him. Got somebody on, on the ball team, and the Lord just opened up the door to be able to share with him. Somebody I work out with, somebody I work with, so on and on and on, it will go if we would follow and start first with our availability. So I'm going to pray for you to this end this morning. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, I just want to ask the Lord now. Uh, Father, I know that, uh, well, even as, even as a pastor for many years, sometimes the scariest thing I feel like I'm ever confronted with in my faith in you, Lord, is when you have asked me to share you with someone else. And even to this day, after 20 year plus years of ministry, Lord, I, I tense up sometimes the same way. I, I sweat a little bit. I wonder, what am I going to say? And how, how is this going to go? And I even sometimes, Lord, in my head say, what happens if I get rejected? And here, Lord, I, I really believe you, you are a God who is saying, I never said you had to worry about any of that stuff. I just said to be available and if you follow my spirit, I'll walk you the path you need to walk from that point. And so, Lord, I want to pray if there's even one person this morning that this is a word they needed to hear. This is something in their faith that's been lacking. It's been far more private. Or it's been uh, public, but it's public with other Christians. And this was a day that they needed to hear that this is a time to get revved up and fired up and excited about going out and sharing your word about going out and being available to you, Lord, and to go out and to ask these, these simple questions and then to listen to the heart of other people and upon hearing from them to know how to inject Jesus Christ into the conversation or into the moment to share the hope that we have in you. Father, I want to just pray that you would unleash many, many right here that would go out and do that even this week. Father, I remember that one day in seminary class for me when I heard the Reverend Dr. Robert Tuttle share on this subject matter. And, and Lord, I just so energized and going out and even that afternoon on my bus route wanting to tell every student about you. And Father, to some level that you've held that and sustained that, that is my desire. Father, I pray that many would be drawn into that even today. 
Finally, Lord, though, I I know that there might be one sitting out here that really the key thing that they've never solidified is they've never set apart you as Lord of their life. They've never said yes to you. If that's you this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and your heart is ready, you know right here, right now, you are ready to say yes to Jesus Christ, you can pray in your heart this simple prayer. I'm going to lead you in it right now. Just follow after me in your heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I want to live for you. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. If you prayed that in your heart right now, the Bible tells us that in an instant, because of your declaration, you are a child of God. And it wasn't because of your good deeds. It has nothing to do with it. In fact, your good, your good deeds weren't even close. It was because of your faith in Jesus Christ that you solidified right here at this moment. And if that's you, I celebrate with you. Celebrate your new faith in Christ. And now, Lord, lead us into being examples, bold and brave in you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so if, if that was you, and if you just prayed to become a Christian, to say yes to Jesus Christ, um, I'm not going to go the way of what we talked about earlier, where now you have to get out of your seat and come down here. Uh, but we have a communication card that's right there, and I would love to connect some with you this week. If, if you could take that card and there's a box that says, accepting Christ as our Savior. Would you just mark that? Or in the note section, just say, I became a Christian today. I would love to connect with you about that. If you're so intrigued by what we talked about this morning, and you're like, I'm ready, Tom. I just, man, I'd love just a little more help to launch out and share my faith. Would you just write that in your note section? Help to share my faith. I would love to talk to you about that and encourage you in that area this week. Would be, would be awesome. Well, we're going to invite our ushers to come and take our morning offering. Reminder, this is actually, even though we have, it feels like a whole week of April, this is the last Sunday in April. So uh, it's a really good time to, to get caught up on your tithes and offering if you haven't already. And again, like always, if you don't carry a checkbook, if you don't have any way to, to pay in person, that's fine. Um, use our online system, the windoverhills.org. Just click online and, uh, and you can do your building pledge and your tithes and offering. All that stuff can happen online as well. It's pretty simple and easy if you've never used it. And, uh, and that all comes to uh, Pastor Anson in the church office, and he takes care of that. So, wonderful. We'll invite our, our ushers to come and receive uh, our morning offering. And why don't you, uh, while they're doing that, why don't you stand, and we'll go out singing one more.